0: You're listening to The Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 47. White Wolf and Bill Maher take the L.
1: This is The Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Andy Edmund.
0: Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 47 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Patrick.
1: Hello, Brian.
0: So today, of course, we'll talk about uh, Doctor Who and The Walking Dead and our reviews on that. I did want to mention a couple things first. A couple of statements have been made, and I wanted to take them one at a time. But those who've listened to the podcast, they know that I've discussed Vampire, the Masquerade, 5th edition.
1: Mm-hmm. The role playing game. The, the role playing game. Role playing tabletop
0: game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And in my first mention of it, I talked about a lot of the drama and some of the controversy involved in 5th edition with some of the things that they included in their source material. And it turns out that White Wolf and Vampire's in trouble again. Mm. And this came from their source book for the Camarilla or Camarilla, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But the purpose of the source book was to basically world build and let people know what's going on out in the world of vampire, which is very much like our own world, except you got vampires in it. Mm. So vampires happen to be the chocolate in the world's peanut butter.
1: So is this paranormal clandestine as in the average person doesn't know that there are vampires? Or exactly. Does the aver- okay.
0: I think the way I mm. described it in the podcast was the Camarilla is very much like the vampire Illuminati. Mm-hmm. the main rule of the Camarilla is nobody needs to know that vampires exist. Right. Because when they find out vampires exist, suddenly you get hunted and all that stuff.
1: I've come to call that paranormal clandestine. I think what falls into that is the Buffy and the supernatural where, yes, supernatural things exist, but only certain people know about right. them. And really, when it comes to literature, we see the paranormal common a lot more than we do on the screen. I really right. think the only time was bright... Mm-hmm. And True Blood were the only times where you would see the paranormal commonplace, where people knew about vampires, where people knew about magic.
0: Right. And in the world of the world of darkness, the first time that humans found out about vampires, it was known as the Inquisition. And then in modern times, with the help of the internet, and now that people are starting to find out vampires exist now, we get to the what they call the second Inquisition. Yeah. And so a lot of what goes on in the game is basically doing what vampires do, but being able to cover their tracks. Okay. At least in the Camarilla. There are Mm -hmm. some factions of vampires that feel like they don't need to do that. So basically, the Camarilla sourcebook was to build onto this world, to give a dark shadow to a lot of things that are actually going on in the world today. Now, one of the chapters in the sourcebook touches on the war in Chechnya. For those who don't know what's going on in Chechnya right now, there's a civil war going on of sorts, and there's a lot of messed up things going on in Chechnya, mm. specifically with the LGBTQ plus community. They're being persecuted to a huge extent. They're mm-hmm. being arrested, locked up, tortured, killed. I This mean, is
1: the equivalent of being a Jew or a gypsy in absolutely. World War Two. Okay.
0: And so in the source book, they touch on what's going on in Chechnya, several pages about it. Mm. And... What they mention in the source book is that there is a sect of vampires that runs politics in Chechnya. And that, yes, these things are going on with the LGBTQ plus community, but it's just a cover for the fact that there are vampires. And so they're doing all this stuff, and it's actually happening. Mm -hmm. But it's a cover for something worse that's going on, which is the vampires. Hmm. Okay, Now, some people have looked at that and said, Look, this is some real suffering you guys are talking about, and now you're trivializing it because you're saying, Well, yes, this stuff's going on, but it's just a cover for a factor of vampires there. And they thought, real people are suffering and dying over this and that this is probably crossing the line. And the company that owns White Wolf, Paradox Interactive, they looked at it and said, Yeah, this is pretty messed up. Now, Vampire the Masquerade has always been a game of horror. And, you know, with horror you're gonna deal with some really messed up issues, but The question, I guess, that you tie into this is where do you draw the line? Mm -hmm. And as a writer, I can tell you that your imagination, you just basically let it go where it's going to go. And when you are trying to put a dark shade on everything in the world, you're looking through that filter. Yeah, it's an interesting idea to say, hey, stuff that's going on in Chechnya, vampires might be responsible for. It's an understandable mental exercise that as a writer, you might go down that road. But at the same time... You have to be sensitive to the real people that are dealing with Mm -hmm. these situations. I mean, I could write a story about school shootings and all the shootings that are going on in the United States, and I could come up with a supernatural Mm
1: -hmm.
0: explanation for all of it. But if I'm going to write that story, I have to be sensitive to people who've lost children, friends. I have to be understanding for that.
1: Had it been more an allusion to it? What comes to my mind is Deadpool, when they have the mutant strapped into the chair, trying to torture his powers out of him, mm-hmm. and that is an illusion, an allegory toward, well, they call it conversion therapy, it's torture, trying to torture mm-hmm. the gay, the trans, out of someone. Right. So, if they had alluded to it being, having something to do with the vampires, rather than saying, that's not really happening, it's really vampires, Yeah. Uh, I think... It would have been a better choice, yeah. I think.
0: Yeah, I would say so. Obviously, with World of Darkness, they want to take the real world and they want to tilt it a little bit to the story. But, yeah, you get to a point where you have to say, wait a minute, you know, you've got to be able to draw a line.
1: I think maybe one of the most famous ones, well, I call it famous because I know about it, Arthur Miller, The Crucible, right, about the Salem Witch Trials, but an allusion to the communist trials right the mccarthy the mccarthy McCarthy era trials right and people were really being hurt by these and their families were being hurt and their friends were being targeted so it's not uncommon Mm -hmm. to do this with literature with media with Mm -hmm. art yeah so it's not unusual it's just there's a right way to do it and then there's a wrong way
0: right well this week, Paradox Interactive and White Wolf did release a statement about this issue. And in fairness, I would like to read their statement in totem so that you know, our listeners know exactly how they are choosing to deal with this issue. So, hello everyone. My name is Shams Dorjani, VP of Business Development at Paradox Interactive and Interim Manager at White Wolf Publishing. I wanted to inform you of some changes that will be implemented at White Wolf starting immediately. Sales and printing of the V-5, Camarilla, and Anarch books will be temporarily suspended. The section on Chechnya will be removed in both the print and PDF versions of the Camarilla book. We anticipate that this will require about three weeks. This means shipping will be delayed. If you have pre-ordered a copy of Camarilla or Anarchs, further information will follow via email. In practical terms, White Wolf will no longer function as a separate entity. The White Wolf team will be restructured and integrated directly into Paradox Interactive, and I will be temporarily managing these things during this process. We are recruiting new leadership to guide White Wolf both creatively and commercially into the future, a process that has been ongoing since September. Going forward, White Wolf will focus on brand management. This means White Wolf will develop the guiding principles for its vision of the world of darkness. And give licensees the tools they need to create new excellent products in this story world white wolf will no longer develop and publish these products internally this has always been the intended goal for white wolf as a company and it is now time to enact it the world of darkness has always been about horror and horror is about exploring the darkest parts of our society our culture and ourselves horror should not be afraid to explore difficult or sensitive topics but it should never do so without understanding who those topics are about and what it means to them. Real evil does exist in the world, and we can't ever excuse its real perpetrators or cheapen the suffering of its real victims. In the Chechnya chapter of the V5 Camarilla book, we lost sight of this. The result was a chapter that dealt with a real-world ongoing tragedy in a crude and disrespectful way, We should have identified this either during the creative process or in editing. This did not happen, and for this we apologize. We ask for your patience while we implement these changes. In the meantime, let's keep talking. I'm available for any and all thoughts, comments, and feedback on shams.georgiani at paradoxinteractive.com.
1: You're going to put a link to that? Yes. Okay.
0: And... I think, honestly, under this situation, that's about the best that you can hope for. Mm -hmm. So certainly what they're saying they're going to do is they, I mean, I think that they've fired a bunch of people over this. Mm -hmm. They, of course, didn't say that in this, but I assume that's what's happened. And they've basically absorbed White Wolf into the main company so that they can monitor what's going on. And I think that's a good idea. I'm a big fan of horror, but I know the value of understanding the people who are going through real pain. And I think... Hopefully, with this happening, that a lot of these controversial issues that have popped up in White Wolf and with Vampire the Masquerade, that we're going to see the end of it. And we can just go back to playing a game that we enjoy. So, <laughs> Speaking of statements, and we're going to have to talk about this, because we talked last week about Stan Lee. <laughs> and so this week, Bill Maher of... <laughs> yep (laughs) real time with bill maher on hbo originally hosted politically incorrect on abc he has a blog and decided he wanted to make a comment about stanley's passing
1: former stand-up comedian as well well i mean he still Um, he does does he still yes i wasn't not yes he'll
0: very often he'll i mean he does a lot of shows between seasons of real time so i think under fairness i'm going to I'm going to read his statement in full. It's three paragraphs, but just so that people understand exactly what he said. So, the guy who created Spider-Man and the Hulk has died, and America is in mourning. Deep mourning for a man who inspired millions to, I don't know, watch a movie, I guess. Someone on Reddit posted, I'm so incredibly grateful I lived in a world that included Stan Lee. Personally, I'm grateful I live in a world that included oxygen and trees, but to each his own. Now, I have nothing against comic books. I read them now and then when I was a kid, and I was all out of the Hardy Boys. But the assumption everyone had back then, both the adults and the kids, was that comics were for kids, and when you grew up, you moved on to big boy books without the pictures. But then, 20 years or so ago, something happened. Adults decided they didn't have to give up the kid stuff. And so, they pretended comic books were actually sophisticated literature. And because America has over 4,500 colleges, which means we need more professors uh, than we have smart people, some dumb people got to be professors by writing theses with titles like otherness and Herodoxy and the silver surfer. And now when adults are forced to do grown-up things like buy auto insurance, they call it adulting and act like it's some giant struggle. I'm not saying we're necessarily gotten stupider. The average Joe is smarter in a lot of ways than he was in, say, the 1940s, when A Big Night Out was a Three Stooges short and a Carmen Miranda musical. The problem is, we're using our smarts on stupid stuff. I don't think it's a huge stretch to suggest that Donald Trump could only get elected in a country that thinks comic books are important. So,
1: so I think obviously he didn't listen to our podcast no, last week.
0: Not um. at all. <laughs> now, I can say this to start out. I know a lot of younger geeks are probably really upset about this, and I'm, in fact, I know that they are. You can go on YouTube and do a search, and you can hear a lot of them especially Vocally,
1: their... uh, being very vocal about their upset. It,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, as a, an OGG, an original gangsta geek, I am used to this kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. I remember in middle school, buying a comic book caught me a lot of grief. I remember being in high school and watching Doctor Who, and that caught me a lot of grief. I'm used to the entire world not appreciating the stuff that I like. I get it. But first of all, I have to say that Bill Maher's uh, remarks don't really surprise me. He's known for talking off the cuff. He lost his first show, Politically Incorrect, for a comment that he made about 9-11 and how the terrorists who crashed into the World Trade Center were braver and more noble than our own army who, as he put it, kill people using drones.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And, of course, he lost his show over that. And then a few months ago in real time, the HBO show, he referred to himself and someone else as a house N-word. And that got him in trouble, obviously. Uh So he's known for just basically saying stuff off the cuff. And as a comedian, you you do that on occasion. But what I can say about the situation is this. Liking something, appreciating something having a personal taste for something, it's not anything that you can really defend. Whether it is a hobby or a form of entertainment, whether it's a strange food, and even our predilections in the bedroom. There's no defending what you like except to say, well, this is something that I like. Bill Moore doesn't like comic books. But for the longest time and currently, what he does like is to smoke weed. And he smoked weed at a time when possessing it, much less using it, would get you a jail sentence. And so his use of weed is a lot less defensible than, say, reading a comic book. But you can't defend what you like. You just like it. Now, obviously, he doesn't know that much about comic books, because some of the things we talked about, like Spiegelman's Mouse. And to say that comic books are all for kids, well, obviously, he's never read Preacher or Sin City or anything like that. There are adult comic books. I think it's ironic that he is a comedian, and that the diminutive for comedian and for comic book is the same, comic. What Bill Maher doesn't seem to understand is that comic books are an art form, and art forms have a, a sliding scale for what is good and bad. I mean, you can use paints to finger paint, and you can also use them to paint the Sistine Chapel. It's just a matter of the artist is what ennobles the art. Art is basically a tool to allow an artist to communicate. <laughs> Just like in comedians. If you talk about comedians, I could imagine or picture Lenny Bruce or Richard Pryor or George Carlin or -hmm. Joan Rivers, but I could also picture the amateur open mic night at my local comedy club. Mm -hmm. But whatever I use is going to be what I determine. But obviously there's a large scale in comedy about the art form. And so as a comedian, he understands that. What he doesn't understand, of course, is that comic books have that same sliding scale, and a lot of people have learned that you can take this art form and you can elevate it. Stan Lee Mm -hmm. figured that out. And in a real sense, that's the strength of comic books who elevate themselves, because since they're not taken very seriously, you can get away with talking about subjects you couldn't talk about elsewhere. The strength of the Twilight Zone was the fact that CBS didn't take it seriously. It's just silly fantasy, and that's why Rod Serling was able to put the messages into it that he was able to at a time when it wouldn't have been accepted anywhere else. Mm -hmm. To finish up, I would have to say, I don't expect Bill Maher to start reading comic books, much less appreciate them. I don't think that's the lesson he really needs to take away from this. What he needs to take away from this is that when you say something, when you put something out there, it has an effect. And obviously, Bill Maher wants to have an effect with the words that he says and what he writes. I mean, he wouldn't be doing shows like Politically Incorrect or Real Time if that's not what he was intending to do. When you read this blog post, it's really difficult to tell what it was he was trying to accomplish, if anything, except maybe to express his feelings of there being a lack of justice that some comic book guy people care about that he's gone. That may be it. But I know that Bill Maher is trying to elevate the conversation, especially around politics, about what's going on in the U.S. and in the world. I mean, that's obvious. If you watch his show, that's what he's trying to do. But what it comes down to is, if you plan to do that, you can't just write words down or say them. You have to consider the effect that you're going for. It's something he does as a comedian. Obviously, he's trying to make people laugh. And so he's trying to develop things that people find funny. I think that he missed the mark here in just basically not thinking about what effect these words would have, or even what type of effect he wanted these words to have. And so if I had anything to say to Bill Maher, I'd say, Mr. Maher, what you need to do is that if you want people to think about your words, you need to spend some time thinking about your words first. But, you know, I... Doubt very seriously Bill Maher is going to hear anything that I had to say about this, because obviously he's not going to listen to something called the Geek Watch podcast.
1: And maybe he should have. And, you know, everything, pretty much everything that I feel about it is we talked about it last week, about how socially significant Stanley and everything that he brought forth was. Yeah. A lot of people don't care for Picasso's paintings. You know, Mm -hmm. they look weird. They're asymmetrical. But. Picasso was one of the first people, Guernica, it is a mural on the side of a building, Mm -hmm. and it was the first time people really looked at warfare as far as when the people... The not the soldiers who were getting hurt. These were your average people. These were your mothers. These were your children getting killed in war. He had a medium. He had a uh, he had a platform. People listened to him because he was Picasso, right? And he said, "Look at this painting. This is what life is. This is what war is." You know. Yes, there are comic books for kids. There are cartoons for kids. There are books for kids. But you know what? You start off with Green Eggs and Ham, mm-hmm. and then you move up to a cask of Amontillado. So the same thing, you know, let's start off with Donald Duck comics. I'm pretty sure that Donald Duck was a comic before he was a cartoon, wasn't he? Yeah. I thought so. And then, you know, and as I understand it, some pretty deep, uh, yeah. deep storylines for him. And then, you know, and then you'll move up to Mouse. Then you'll move up to Watchmen and learning social justice that way in a way that makes people think not just throwing it out there and making these characters and these people relatable right to the average person
0: well and the other thing too is that just because something is for children doesn't mean that it doesn't have a, a depth to it i mean you read dr seuss and tell me that that doesn't have a depth to it even though it's literature for children they talk about war and racism mm-hmm. and all kinds of heady stuff and like mr rogers A children's program, but he wasn't afraid to tackle serious issues. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing intrinsically powerful about art except in how the artist uses that art form to say what they want to say. It's the message you're using for the art, and certainly comic books are an art form. And anybody who's read a variety of comic books know comics can be serious art, and a lot of people feel that way. Now, of course, Bill Maher doesn't know that much about comics, so he said what he said.
1: And, which is kind of upsetting. People should send him the, uh, the Archie comic where let's see how was it described. Archie dies in a left wing wet dream. <laughs> when Archie died, he was killed at a anti gun rally. He was shot to death protecting his gay friend. Yeah. So very obviously, yeah. you know these Archie comics. They're not just for not just for kids. Well, you know,
0: I find it really ironic that the fact that he said in this blog post, one, that part of the problem is, you know, you have these these liberal arts colleges teaching comic book stuff, and he also even, in a weird way, blames Donald Trump on the fact that people read comic books. I find this really screwy and a, a real stretch because, of course, number one, the curriculums of liberal arts colleges, I think, pretty much have a null effect on what Trumpsters think. Mm-hmm. I don't think that It reflects upon them at all. And the other thing, too, as far as comic books, not that I think a lot of Trump supporters read comic books, especially in the last few years with all the accusations that comics have been getting about being tools of social justice warriors, it's like, Mm -hmm. which seems to be on the complete opposite side of what Bill Maher thinks comic books are doing. But again, how would he know? Right. I think ultimately that's where he ran into trouble. Number one, he spoke about something he didn't really know that much about, that he had a prejudice against that wasn't supported by facts, and he just basically posted something without any idea of the effect that he wanted to have with his piece. It was just a moment to spew. And not that I think he's about to lose his HBO show or anything over this, but it certainly weakens his position to debate just because of the fact that Again, he put something out he didn't put an awful lot of thought in. Right. And for the type of stuff that he wants to do, he needs to do better. And so with that, let's talk some Sunday night television. Who,
1: What the who? What the dead? Yeah,
0: so we'll start with Doctor Who. Doctor Who. And again, just to remind the geek watchers out there, we're going to be talking spoilers. So if you've not seen Doctor Who or The Walking Dead, now's the time to pause the podcast, go watch it, and come back. So, this episode of Doctor Who was called Kerblam.
1: Kerblam!
0: And, wow, again, this episode of television had so much to say, so much Mm -hmm. to talk about. It talked about technology. It talked about the mechanization of the The workforce. workforce. Mm -hmm. It talked about huge corporations and how they treat the people that work for them. It talked about terrorism. There was so much stuff going on. It was crazy. I had no idea... That this show was going to cover as much ground as it did, uh, very entertaining. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the show, but it, it certainly had a lot to say.
1: Well, it was immediately. I just thought it's adorable. The uh, robot teleports in, and the doctor is so excited. I mean, yeah. first first of all, just seeing the doctor so excited to get a package, and that's the same way I act when I get a package. Well, She's so th- excited, like I've got a package, and yeah, it is so sweet. Now. I have a kind of uh, theory, Brian, that people have phobias that they didn't realize Mm -hmm. before the media pointed it out to them. Like, I don't think cholerophobia, the fear of clowns, was as prominent as it is until Stephen King's It. Yeah, I think so. Perhaps arachnophobia wasn't as prominent until arachnophobia came out. Yeah. So Doctor Who did that with statues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people didn't realize how scared they were of statues until the, weeping you know, angels, yes. until the weeping angels. And now we're, I think people are going to be kind of afraid of bubble wrap, <laughs> <laughs> how ordinary and how beautiful, beautiful storytelling is that too. Oh, yeah. uh, this is how we're going to, this is how, how we're going to attack people with bubble wrap and wow.
0: That <laughs> well, and that's part of the marketing genius of amazon.com is the fact that we're buying presents for ourselves in a real sense. <laughs> and and the funny thing is, I got an Amazon package today.
1: Yep. I have one waiting for me at home. <laughs> yeah. So
0: basically being able to tap into that zeitgeist and weaponize Amazon.com was amazing. Of course, I have to admit, you know, the first part of the show when she opens up the package and the doctor gets the fez. The
1: fez. Fez. And she said, I must have ordered it a while back.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was a, adorable. Yeah. It's funny. But, but you mm-hmm. know, of course, the thing about it is, here we go in the spoilers, Uh, The doctor didn't order it. I find it's interesting is the AI that runs Kerblam is like, Mm -hmm. I'm in trouble. This is bad. I need to get the doctor. What's the doctor like? Oh, the doctor likes pheasers.
1: And yeah, and how does does Kerblam know that? But it's it's kind of crazy because when you search for like one thing on Amazon, all of a sudden all these things pop up on your, oh, you might like this. Well, yes, Amazon, you're right. I do like this.
0: Well, fortunately, it was a fez. Of course, the running joke in the Peter Capaldi episodes, in all the series that he was in, was his browser history. He would constantly (laughs) tell people, don't look at my browser history. That was an occurring reference. And Mm -hmm. so it could have been anything. Thank goodness Peter Capaldi's, the 12th Doctor's browser history did not have anything to do. It was deleted, so. Either deleted or Mm -hmm. it's like, well, look, we can't send him that. Let's send him a uh, fez. Because we know the Doctor likes a fast.
1: Beautiful. Now, love this episode. Love everything about it. Just loving Jodie Whittaker more and more all the time. And I saw a scary rumor today, Brian, that she won't be back next year. And that that just hurts my heart. I really hope that she's not our next Christopher Eccleston. So I'm just hoping, you know, that that's just a rumor. Huh, and I, I, be... I didn't hear that. Where, oh, where
0: did you, where did you get there that? There
1: was a couple, there were two or three different like rumor sites or something that popped up on Facebook that said, um, two showrunners may not be coming back. It was Jody Whitaker and it was one of the writers. I can't remember who though. And I'm hoping it's just an ugly rumor. Yeah. Cause we, mean, need we, yeah, we need
0: more. Yeah. We definitely need more. more. Of Thirteen. Yeah. We, uh, we certainly do. And we'll have to do a little bit of research on that that From next week, see if anything pops up with that. But this is going to be for me a wait and see. I'm gonna. I'd have to say with that rumor, I'd have to take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. But I've been really impressed with the episodes. They're better than I usually, to my mind, of what I was expecting. Because I always feel that you know the first series of any new Doctor is always, I think, the mm-hmm. the low water mark because of course they're just kind of learning how. To write for a new doctor but these episodes i think have been really solid we're
1: getting really good one-shot characters every episode we're getting to know these people getting to know their stories and we're genuinely hurt when you know one of them passes or when one of them did something that we didn't want them to you know
0: and i have to say that the middle management guy and the hr person that were kind of painted in some degree as being kind of villainous although again They don't go down that road with them. They're not mustache-twirling villains. They're just, you know, in a sense, they're kind of red herrings about what's going on. And the AI is a red herring for what's going on. But I think as far as the villainy aspect of it, where I think in Arachnids in the UK, they really stepped in it and gave us a really cliched villain. Mm -hmm. I think this episode, it was a 180 for me because... Mm -hmm.
1: You did not expect it. You
0: You... didn't expect it, but you understood it. Right. I -hmm. mean, nobody in this episode was, I would say, 100% wrong. People had reasons for doing what they did. And for me, you know, it was more nuanced as far as the villainy in there. But again, they talked about so many issues in this episode, and I was amazed. Mm -hmm. It was a very nuanced, very interesting episode. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Again, I'm looking forward to see what they do next. you know how how this continues. I know some people have not been too happy of the fact that there's no through line all the way through, but I'm just enjoying spending time with the doctor and seeing Jody Whitaker stretch her wings and seeing what she can do next week. We go back in time, which oh again, we're going to have a <laughs> A miserable moment in the past because they're they're going to Lancashire in the 17th century, and we have uh, K- King James the first involving himself in a village where they're witch hunting.
1: Oh, like okay, but but in England, so this would have been like not like we think Salem automatically Salem, right. but there was like Pendle, right. um, I guess Lancaster. Yeah,
0: La- Lancaster. Um, I know they mentioned in the second trailer the name of the village.
1: They were very prominent oh, all yeah. over Europe. You oh know. yeah. I mean, but but Salem—that was the big yeah. one where nineteen people were
0: right. Were and this tried was a and, cari- and which was a carryover of a lot of the stuff that was going on in England. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people who came to the United States carried their religion with them, but also some a lot of their prejudices with them. Right. So this show, they're going to be dealing with a lot of witch trial stuff. There's one scene in the trailer where they're throwing a woman into the river,
1: dunking mm-hmm. to
0: dunking to see if she she flo-
1: sinks or floats. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And how that's going to develop, we'll see what happens. If I... you
1: didn't know, listeners, if you sunk and drowned, you were judged not a witch and innocent. Right. <laughs> if you lived, you yeah. were judged a witch and killed.
0: That was a lose-lose situation, basically. Mm-hmm. You're like, I hope I drown so people will know I'm innocent. <laughs> so that'll be next week's episode, and we'll be checking that out. And then we get to Walking Dead.
1: Yeah, got a, lo- a bit of rev. Some revelations in right. this episode that we've been waiting for. We get to see why Daryl has run away from home. And apparently for six years, he's been out looking for Rick's body, Brian. Yeah. For six years, he's been out by himself, just looking for Rick. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's obsessive. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, some people don't want to let go. and I mean, especially with the, the strong bond that they had, basically. They called each other brother. Right. So I can understand that. But obviously you're seeing a lot more of the schisms between the communities, partially because of the fact that since gas is a commodity now, traveling between locations has become more difficult and more Mm time-consuming. We're starting to develop some other motivations for a lot of these schisms. Apparently something happened between Michonne and Maggie. Yeah, because...
1: Everything that was set up last season about Negan and Maggie, that was resolved at the end of you know the la- of Rick's mm-hmm. last episode. So this had to have been something different. Had to have been something new because mm-hmm. that's when we find out that Maggie is gone off with Georgie mm-hmm. and that Michonne didn't know. So because
0: somebody made made Sadig promise not to tell her.
1: Right. It's out of the ordinary, and I'm looking forward to, to finding out why. Mm-hmm. Also, something that I didn't notice that uh, you told me about and my sister pointed out to me is the X's yes, on, Michonne, the scars. The scars on Michonne and Daryl. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice it, and it was pointed out to me. And what does that mean?
0: Yeah, there's something definitely going on there. But again, part of the mystery of the show now is what happened between those six years that we missed. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a lot of stuff's been going on. Right. And of course, we also found out that Henry has some interest in Enid, because <laughs> he shows up at Hilltop, and his first question is, "Enid still around?" Mm-hmm. So, but
1: he's a teenage boy. That's what we're, right. you know, not really surprised there. And maybe he really does want to pursue blacksmithing. So, you know, good for him either way. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I guess he decided he wants to strike while the iron's hot.
1: Oh, is- <laughs> ouch! Mm. I'm really liking the production design here. Mm -hmm. Like they've done the horse-drawn carriages, but it's the back of a pickup truck stuck to some horses. And our newcomers, Brian, we finally got to see them fight. And my goodness, I kind of want to see their story from the beginning. They are B.A., you know, with their slingshots. They can take walkers down. I I want them on my side.
0: Apparently, they have about as much history amongst themselves as Rick's crew did. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and they have those bonds. And a lot of interesting stuff going on. One thing about this episode, it was the directorial debut for Michael Cudlitz, who played Abraham. Mm Because he had been talking for the longest time with the show. He's like, even if I leave, I'd love to direct an episode. And he finally got his chance. And wow, did he knock that out of the park. He was amazing. I love that thing right at the beginning with Rosita. He said that when he was directing that he wanted to give Blair Witch project vibe to it uh, and boy did he. Uh-huh. Because you have that moment where she's dehydrated and she's delusional but she's hearing the whispering of the walkers. And Definitely. she
1: could be thinking I'm crazy. Yeah. Yes. Uh. Uh-huh.
0: Especially with some of the stuff that I've seen trailer stuff for next week. Yes. She knows and Eugene knows that there's something going on with the walkers that mm-hmm. there's they doing- think
1: that they're getting smarter. Is yeah. what's, what's happening. They oh, yeah. think they're getting smarter. They're and evolving. They're,
0: they're evolving. They're talking to each other. And of course, if you have read the comics, you know exactly what's going on. So we're not going to mention that. Next week, they're going to be able to find Eugene in the barn, but they may not be able to get out of the barn. My guess is that that's going to be the cliffhanger Mm-mm. with Eugene telling them, this is terrible. This is bad. You don't understand what's going on. And they're going to find out. And you're going to be at this point where what's going on with the walkers? And that's where they're going to leave it. I think one thing we definitely have to talk about this episode is dog.
1: Yes, I finally. love me some dog. Oh, you know, I've been waiting eight years for Daryl to get a dog. Daryl should have had a dog. He's the kind of character who needs a dog. Yeah. And like I said, you know, the dog, Hollywood rules, dog can't die. So
0: uh,
1: <laughs> the dog has to live.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully so. They certainly didn't pass that rule on to uh, tigers. No. Too soon? I don't think there's... I'm I'm working on getting over it. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know if there's an appropriate time to to talk about the tigers, but uh, it does seem like, for people who've read the comics, that they're going down the same road they had in the comics, and so there's going to be some really messed up stuff, and there's a picture that's been circulating around I don't even want to talk about because, in a sense, it may be a spoiler, but if it's true, people are going to lose their minds. Wow. And that's about all I want to say about it. (laughs) But next week is the season finale for Walking Dead. Yeah, the mid-season finale finale. for Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. And so after next week, then I guess we can just talk about Doctor Who because we've got, I think, three or four more episodes after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, next week it all comes to a head. You'll have to see. Absolutely. And so with that, we come to the end of another episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the Geek Watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.